turned me wise. <laughs> it's incredible, yeah. Uh, so hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a bench press record once I get to man camp. But anyway, that's good. Hopefully you men can join us. And hopefully I won't have too much fuzz in my mouth as I speak. But uh, yeah, man camp's coming up. It's a great time. You're going to love it. Encourage all you guys to sign up in the lobby today. Uh, <laughs> and now we transition to our sermon for the day. Uh, but... <laughs> It is good to be back, uh, whether you've noticed or not, I've been gone for a couple weeks, and I was gone on a trip, actually, to uh, Greece and Albania, visiting our sister church in Lushnia, Albania, Way of Peace Church, uh, also working with Greater Europe Mission uh, in Greece, uh, in a refugee camp on the island of Lesbos, and then hearing more about the work that they're doing and how we can partner with them, and I'll talk a little bit more about this a little later in our, in our time here, but uh, I was just struck by the fact that today we are continuing in this series in the book of Mark, and we're talking today about the kingdom of God and how it spreads so rapidly and it spreads to something big through only the work of God and not our work. And it was amazing actually to be in, in, on this island of Lesbos in Athens, Greece, and then in Albania, and really seeing some incredible things that are happening with, with refugees and ministry to them and ministry to people that we would never have been able to get to just a couple years ago and are seeing thousands come to know the Lord. And then we're talking about the rapid spread of the kingdom of God. And I think how this is just so interesting to be able to talk about that today after being there. Because seeing both in, an, in the ancient time sense... How in the first century, the church spread through these very regions of the world just so rapidly and incredibly. And even now, with this thing that's happening that I think could possibly, possibly be like the gospel movement of our time. And uh, so it's, I think, apropos as we talk about this today, as I have a lot of beard fuzz in my mouth. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but I encourage us to grab your Bibles, turn to Mark 4. Uh, if you haven't already, grab your notes there. You can see lots more detail happening in the outline than will even happen here. Stuff that you can take home and read more about the kingdom of God. But we, we're answering this question, who is Jesus? Right? In this whole series, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one that makes it happen today. Jesus is the one that does the work. God's power is the one that makes all of what happens happen. And so we look into Mark 4, 26. We recognize we're just after the parable of the soils and the sower. Doug Brown spoke about this last week. And we're really in that same moment. And so it's interesting to see two more parables that talk about seeds. Okay, so it's all together here. So let's look at Mark 4, 26 and just read this Read these two stories. We have two very short stories that, that make a couple, like, very small but good points. So Mark four twenty six. Jesus was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, another parable, Jesus says, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, 
Though it's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, uh, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Now, it's interesting, this, these two very, very short little stories, and the thing that strikes me initially is, is why are these here, right? Why does A, why does Jesus say them, first of all, but then B, even more, why does Mark include them? I mean, you think of the hundreds of hours of teaching and conversations and stories that happened that have not been included in this book. But then these two tiny little stories are included in here that seem sort of strange and random. Maybe you can't get the sense of them even just from the initial reading, like probably the hearers of it just were hearing it and wondering what was going on. Uh, but we'll, we'll hopefully dig into that and let you know a little bit more of what is happening in these. You know, Matt Doan spoke a couple weeks ago, spoke of parables as metaphors. Uh, Doug Brown uh, spoke of parables as riddles to the foolish, but he brought more to uh, explain them to his disciples. And what I want us to get a sense of today and just have an understanding about parables is that I think these, especially these kind that are these very short parables, they are these stories told to make one simple point. Okay? They are told to make one simple point. That there's one point that we can learn from them primarily. We can make some under, we can have some understanding of what they mean for us today, but there's one thing that they mean, one thing they're trying to say. So let's get to it. Let's not try to make it more even about us than it was about the point that it was making here. All right? So the first thing that I think of uh, with these parables, the first question that we have to consider is this question of what is the kingdom of God? Because these are parables that say the kingdom of God is like, or how do we explain the kingdom of God? And it's saying that he's explaining them here. Now, on the back of your outline, I've included just a ton of verses about the kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and that's not even close to an exhaustive list of all the passages in Scripture that speak of the kingdom of God. There's many more parables even that do. I encourage you at some point you can read through all those and see all of those. But I'd like to just give some sense of, okay, what is this kingdom of God? Because it's been talked about a lot and talked about in some really confusing ways of what is the kingdom. And sometimes we can think the kingdom is only the millennial reign in the end, near the end times, right? Where you have this thousand year reign of Christ on the earth when Satan is bound. And you read in the last couple chapters of Revelation, you're going to read about that. The final judgment. All of that is the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is that, and it's also more than that. It's a now and not yet sort of thing. You've got Jesus speaking of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God coming, and then also this future sense of the kingdom of God. And so I want to just simplify to the fact that really how you explain the kingdom of God is it's that Jesus is king. That's probably the most simple, okay? Jesus is king, but this kingdom of God notion is about the authority and reign and rule of Jesus. That it's, it's not a place, there's not a specific area that is his kingdom. It's, it's everywhere. And it's God's ruling action in the world that he is taking a people and he's redeeming them. He is delivering his people. 
And then he's doing that in a certain time, but will also finish that in a later time. So he's speaking of the kingdom coming and the kingdom that will be fulfilled all the way in the future. And so that's, it's probably most simple way to say is that Jesus is king. And he's preaching his kingdom and he's showing his kingdom to the people or his kingship to these people. And he's saying, I'm calling you to allegiance to me as king. But I'm also calling you to allegiance to my plan for for fulfilling what I'm going to do. There's all sorts of expectations, right, that the people of Israel had for whoever was this coming Messiah or this coming king. And they thought it was all about their physical redemption or their, their freedom from their occupation of the Roman Empire and all of that. However, Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is about me as king. And this is about how you will follow my plan for redeeming you as my people. It's so much more and bigger than you ever dreamed it would be. And he's saying it's coming in stages. Okay, and so this is like a little bit of where you saw in that parable where it says first the blade and then the, the head and then the mature grain in the head. And it's this sense of stages that Jesus has come and he's now here and he's doing this, this ministry and then he's going to lead to his, his death on the cross and his resurrection is another stage of that. Then you have this whole church age. And then later is finally his return. And then all that thousand year reign, the fulfillment of his, of his kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth. And there we go. It's done, right? That's why I call it the end times. And so that, that's where you see his kingdom coming in stages. And it's even uh, talked that way in this first parable. So let's look at that first parable again and just see it again, but recognizing that I think the point that this parable is trying to make is that the growth of God's kingdom, God's kingdom growing is from God alone, not from our help, not from our control. It's God. We don't understand how, but it happens. And so it's this parable of the secretly growing seed. And again, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. He goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And so what does this parable mean then? Okay, right? We've just talked about the growth of God's kingdom is ultimately the work of God. So he's trying to get them to understand that. Hey, my kingdom, my kingdom is coming and my kingdom will grow because of me. You're not going to get it. You're not going to understand it. You won't, you'll not understand it in the same way you don't understand how when you plant a seed in the ground and you sit there and wait, you water it, you, you wait and the sun goes down, the sun comes up and then suddenly you have a field that has all these little sprouts and you just think, this is incredible. I have no idea like, how this actually happens. It's amazing. In that same way, that's how the kingdom of God is going to come. You won't get it. You won't know. It's not your job to know. It's not your job to control. Even though you probably feel like you want to control most things in your life, you can't control this. God's going to do the work. And then he says this whole thing about blade, head, and mature grain. And that it's, you can see all of those even in that image of where the kingdom of God is coming in these stages, in these phases. And then ultimately, the harvest will come. And that, that expression even of harvest 
and the sickle coming and the harvest, that is a common expression for the final judgment. And that was common in Judaism, it's common in Christianity, that is this expression of, okay, that's where it will culminate. That's where we'll get to the final fulfillment of God's kingdom, okay? So that's what it means. God's in control, you're not, we can trust him for the big things, we can trust him for the smallest details. So then what does this mean for us today could be our question, because I think that we've got a lot of plans, right? We have plans for ourselves, we have plans for our own futures, we have plans for our church, we have plans for even the, our, our own personal growth. And Lord, I, I want to grow in this way. And I'm going to do these things to grow in this way. We might even have plans for the spread of the gospel. But I think the point of this parable for us is in all of these ways that we have plans, it's good to make them. But our, our job is to sow. Our job is to be obedient. Our job is to f- be faithful and follow the king. Jesus is the king of his kingdom. We are obedient and follow him. What, what happens next is up to him, right? So we do what he's called us to do, him as the king. We are the followers. We are the subjects. And then we see how he works. You know, Proverbs uh, sixteen nineteen even says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Okay, we have plans, but God's going to direct us. Another proverb says, Many plans are in a man's heart. But the counsel of the Lord will stand. God's in charge. God has got this. If it's the kingdom of God, who's the king? God, right? And so that's what we have to remind ourselves of when we think of this. And it's interesting even historically, you know, the people that people have had, to, had plans even for the spread of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't even mean, though, that that, that was God's plan. But oftentimes we try to force God's plan, but God had bigger plans, whether that was the people of Israel, or if that was, you know, there's this moment in history where the Roman Empire became Christian after Constantine, and it was this massive spread of Christianity, but at the, you know, at the sword. And so I don't know if that was God's plan, but what's, what's interesting is God still can use our terrible plans for his glory. And so there's been all sorts of those over the course of history, even our own efforts, right? And so we have to say, okay, Lord, I know that you want me to be involved in this. My job is to be faithful. My job is to then say, God, I will obey you and see how you work. I know that for me in my life, I've had seasons in my life where I've had a lot of plans. And, you know, I've even had like the plans of my life where I thought I was going to go into politics and, uh, you know, I'd come out of high school with all of these sort of credentials for that, going into college as a political science major, and I was excited about that, and I think it was a very good thing. I think it's a good thing for people to do. We have good plans, but God interrupted those plans with a calling that I felt was so strong and clear that for me to go into church ministry that I left those plans to follow his plan for my life. Those plans were good. Those plans were needed. We probably need, probably need more people to do those plans than I had. But uh, God had different plans. And so my job was to obey, right? My job was to follow what his plan was for my life. And even a lot of missionaries, we, we hear stories of missionaries who have uh, 
gone into the field with a certain plan and then God has shifted them and changed them and we've seen great work happen because of that. Even super recently, our own missionary, Andy Spradley, Andy and Nadine Spradley, they're missionaries in Macedonia. Uh, this was so cool because I was in Greece and Albania and basically Macedonia is the country right next to those two countries where Andy uh, and his family are serving. And they were going back onto the field a couple years ago after being here and they got, went in with some certain plans and God changed them. Uh, with some things that were happening in the world. And we asked him just to film this week, like a little, just a very simple kind of iPhone video uh, and sent it to us of him sharing some of that story. So let's take a listen to that story here. In 2015, we headed back to Macedonia for a fifth term of service. And we had a plan to plant a third Macedonian church in a new village. But God had other plans and he put our plans on hold. Because in 2015, the Middle Eastern refugee crisis started. And by the time we showed up in October, it was a flood from Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran. And we felt that God had given us a completely unexpected and unprecedented opportunity to reach out to these Muslim peoples. We decided we would set up a little booth at the border. There was a train station there, and that's where the UN set up a way station for refugees. And we had access as a group of churches partnering to reach out to do humanitarian aid. And we set up a booth. We called it Cafe Mercy. We served bananas, apples, oranges, thousands and thousands of hard-boiled eggs. And we served Turkish tea, which is a comfort food. People got off the train by the thousands. They would stay for 20 minutes, drink some tea, grab some food, and there was our chance to have a conversation with people that spoke a little English. We couldn't distribute literature, so we set up a Facebook page. These people all navigated their journeys by cell phones. Mm -hmm. And so on our Facebook page, we put links to the Jesus film in all their languages, links to the Bible in all their languages. And we invited them to contact us on Facebook. God gave us opportunities to pray with some of these people. When the camp shut down in 2017, we had literally seen tens and hundreds of thousands of refugees passed through. Many of them in Germany are now hearing the gospel openly with some of the missionaries that we partnered with. Uh, it was an amazing opportunity that God gave us totally out of the blue. And you, Calvary Church, were a big part of it. You donated money, you supported us in prayer. So praise God and thank him with us. Isn't that great? Yeah. Um, I think great just to hear, yeah, how... They had a plan, and they changed. God changed their plan, right? And um, interestingly enough, this this past uh, week on my trip, I, I spent some time, like I said, in Albania. I spent some time in Athens, and uh, I sp- and hearing about some of the work that Greater Europe Mission is doing with refugees uh, along this path, and how they're ministering to them in Athens. I met a Syrian refugee who became a believer follower of Jesus, and then is now ministering to Syrian refugees that are passing through. It's so awesome to see people like that along the way. And they also are representing churches in, in Germany that are seeing a huge influx of people into their churches and thousands being saved. It's amazing. Um, but also, they are serving on the island of Lesbos, which is just about four miles off the coast of Turkey. 
And I had the chance to go and serve in the Moria refugee camp for two days on the island of Lesbos. Now, this is the place that a couple years ago you were seeing on the news and all these photographs of these rafts hitting the beach and people being pulled out and, you know, like babies being passed to people. And it was just this intense scene. This is that place. And so people are then taken from uh, where they land on the beach to this camp. And you see a picture of a part of this camp uh, on the screen here. And so this is the camp that we went into. I couldn't take pictures in this camp, so I found a couple of these just kind of stock online photos to show you. I'll show you another. But we went in to, to serve in this camp, and some people were... Um, you see, well, the way it works is that you have Greek military and Greek police in this camp, and they're the ones keeping security. You have the U- UN and the EU that are processing people's documents and doing sort of the official stuff, right? But then the way that the people are cared for in this place is all Christian NGOs, Christian groups that are there serving the people, finding housing, establishing where people live, helping track them, food, clothing, help, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, so they're there doing that work, and then we went in to join in that. They're even helping in certain parts of the camp are a little more... Uh, you could see our uh, a little more official, and then over to the right of this photo, you've got places for vulnerable people, people that are traveling, women alone, or, or unaccompanied minors, people like that. And then you've got these sort of like nicer things here, and nicer tents, and, and these sorts of places where some people are assigned. And they're assigned, what's so crazy, you have this small area where people from Syria, Afghanistan, even Western Africa, Iraq, other parts of the world, all are, 6,000 of them are all in this tiny spot. And boats are still arriving every day. More boats are arriving still now, even though you're not hearing about it on the news. They're arriving every day. More are arriving than are being processed out. And these are just people whose lives have just been completely destroyed and ravaged, and they're looking for hope uh, in Western Europe. And so they're processing them through, and they're going in, into Western Europe. But it is a crazy road. They come into this place... And they come into uh, this area where they think it's going to be hopeful. And then this is where they are. And, and then there's so many people that there's this hillside called the Olive Grove. And it's just full of olive trees. And it's on a hillside where they're building tents. And uh, building these tents for these people. And when I got there, I didn't know what I was going to be doing. But I got assigned to build tents. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, I'll be setting up tents. No problem. Uh, but it turns out it was on a hillside. So your first job that you have to do is level the ground for 16 pallets to lay flat that you put the the tent on top of. And so that includes pickaxes and shovels, and I wasn't really quite ready for that kind of work, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) uh, And, uh, but it was good. And so we started to to put these tents together. And then um, this friend of mine that was there, who's a Calvary missionary, Chris Tweedy, is the CFO of Greater Europe Mission, who doesn't normally use a pickaxe in that job either. But um, he he was there with us, and then he got then assigned to help take people, uh, it's called housing, taking people from the new arrivals area, where they're sort of locked in until they have some documents, and then they're placed into a place to live, which could be a quarter of this tent that you see here, and they're going to be there for six to 18 months. So they're going to live there for 6 to 18 months, and usually somewhere in the middle there, around a year, year's time, in a quarter of that. And he had to then bring this family of five from Afghanistan, and bring this family of five and show them, here is your spot that you're going to live for several months. And they're just freaking out, like, I don't know, this doesn't work. They went to lay down the mats they were given, these five mats, and the five mats didn't even, um, took up the entire space of that, let alone anything that they might also have with them or a place to, to be able to sit. 
and they're just thinking this can't be possible. And so Chris is supposed to though go get the next family that's going to take the other one of the other quarters of this tent. And he asks me then to stop digging and come over and help him. And I, at first I think, awesome, any excuse to get rid of the pickaxe was a good thing. But, um, but then he asked me to sit there with them because he asked me to sit there and make sure this family didn't take up too much of the space in the tent. And I realized that job was worse. And... These people, a few of them went off to go talk to someone else to see if there was something else for them. And this one man was there, and he, he looks at me, and he begins to speak, and I don't understand him. He's speaking all in Afghan language. But I understood two words. I understood the word Afghanistan, and then he makes this kind of rifle shooting thing, and then kind of like a people dying thing. And then he says the word Taliban and makes an exploding symbol like this. And then he somehow kind of says, like, now we're here. And I have to stop this guy from taking up too much space in the tent. Because there's three more families that have to fill that. And we're supposed to build more tents because they're still flowing into this place. And it's just intense kind of moment in your life to be across from a person from Afghanistan who's had their home exploded and is now just here because they're trying to find hope, Right? And what's so amazing, though, is that this group, Greater Europe Mission, with these others that are there serving in this place, they're bringing, they're bringing the gospel into this place. And they're, they're bringing the light of Christ into this place. They need more people to go and serve for about three months and spend time just working there. And they built a center just outside the camp, a little community center, where they can actually like, bring people from the camp over and just give them some more services, but also then share more of the gospel with these people. And then what's so cool is then, like I said, they, these people finally will get processed through this place, get official asylum documents, and then make their way to the mainland of Greece on a ferry, where then Greater Europe Mission has that, these Syrian refugees serving other Syrian refugees in, in Athens. And then they make their way north on their journey, and they hit Macedonia, and they meet Andy Spradley and his family, and they're given some food and some encouragement and, and some more hope. And they used to even put on the eggs, they said, or on, on some of the food they give people, a list of churches in Germany or in whatever place they were trying to go that they could connect with. But there are these churches in Cologne, Germany, in Brussels, Belgium, in Frankfurt, Germany, in Paris, France, that are exploding with thousands of people becoming believers in Jesus Christ through and because of this thing we call the refugee crisis. And you know what it's also doing to the churches in Germany? It's reviving these dead churches in Germany because all these people are coming in and getting saved and they're amazed at the work of the Holy Spirit of God. I think that this could be the movement of God's Spirit for the gospel of our time. And are we even joining in with it at all? I think that this is the kind of thing where the, the Spirit of God and God's kingdom is growing and spreading and changing. Not because of our control or our help. It's maybe even because, like, in spite of our fear and because of our lack of doing anything. God's Spirit is moving in the lives of these people. And I'm not talking about our politics. I'm not talking about America and bringing people in here. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm talking about is as followers of Jesus, responding to what God is doing and joining in what I think is maybe the greatest movement of the gospel of our time. And so I hope to talk to us about some more ways that we can join in that in the, the weeks and months to come. 
But I, it's amazing to see what God is doing in Europe, all over Europe, and reviving dead Western Europe through this whole thing. And so God's kingdom is going to grow. And that's the point kind of for our sermon today, not just our lives, is that God's kingdom is going to grow. But I hope that this inspires you to something in your life and how we can join in in what God is doing. And so we don't know sometimes if something will grow, but we plant it. We see these plants grow out of cracks in concrete and that sort of thing because that's, I think, kind of the, the way that God is going to find a way. God is moving in these ways. And, and our job is to join in. Now, that's, that's this first thing, the kingdom of God, this first parable. The kingdom of God is growing and God's going to do the work, not us. We just join in. The second parable, I think, means this. The kingdom of God will grow from nothing to massive. Again, because of God, not us. So let's look again at that parable of the mustard seed so that we can just look into what, what does this actually say again. It says, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? This is Mark 4.30. Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches, so that, and kind of just see this phrase, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Maybe in your Bible this is all caps, and that's to show you this is what's called an intertext. This is a passage from the Old Testament put into here that, that Jesus is quoting. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. So this whole thing of, of mustard seeds, right? He says it's like a mustard seed. Here's a picture of some mustard seeds in someone's hand. Get out of the way there. But uh, that you can see, obviously, very tiny. They're actually not the smallest seed, but just so you know, it was a... This was like an expression of this day, okay, of the time of Christ. It was, you know, oh, it's so small, it's like a mustard seed. That was just something they'd say. It was a proverbial expression, as small as a mustard seed. And uh, now, these little mustard seeds, first they spread quickly. Here's a picture of, this is our last Israel trip, and me on the, this is a hillside next to the Sea of Galilee, where they think could be the place where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. It's at least in this area. And you see mustard seed all over the place that has grown in these mustard plants. And um, now that's kind of how it can spread quickly. If you don't know, we don't see this very often, but these are mustard plants that have grown all the way up into trees. I mean, these are huge. This is almost, this is basically life-size. I'm about the size of this guy on the screen. If I get on my tiptoes and flex, but um, if you say man camp, but you know, that's how big, <laughs> that's how big these mustard plants can, can get. And so that you, because you see this picture and you think, wait, how does a bird rest in the, the branches? You know, but then you see this, okay, I get that. Now, what does this actually mean? It means, I believe, simply this, very simple point. The kingdom of God is going to start small, it's going to get big and seen. <laughs> okay? Like, that's it. The kingdom of God has these small, insignificant beginnings, but it's going to grow rapidly into something more. And what's interesting, too, about 
uh, mustard plants is they were also sort of like an invasive plant into nice gardens. You wouldn't want your, uh, your nice garden to get a bunch of mustard seeds in it because they're going to take over, almost like a blackberry bush or something like that, you know, where they, they take over your garden. And that's what these things would do. And so some people even think that some of the meaning about this passage is that, yes, the kingdom of God will spread, but also it's going to take over these carefully cultivated gardens of religion. And so you think of the, of the Judaism, the Pharisaic Judaism of that time. The kingdom of Jesus is going to just take this over. Even maybe even some people thought the Roman Empire. The kingdom of God is going to take this over. And it does. It does. It's incredible to think of how this little thing, this little thing that starts in this tiny, just very insignificant part of the world with an insignificant group of people that then spreads to how big it gets And that's what Jesus is saying. This is going to start small, and it's going to go big. And that is going to show you even more how this is about me and my power, and not you and your control. And I want you to trust in that. Now, there is that little part. And if you look in your Bible, you see that little part that says, The birds of the air can nest under its shade. This is just kind of an interesting little thing, I think, that shows more of what he's saying here. This is in a, a few places in the Old Testament, actually. It's in Ezekiel 17 and Ezekiel 31. It has this expression, but this expression is next to a huge stately cedar tree. As it's speaking of a huge cedar tree. And that the birds of the air will nest, you know, in that cedar tree. Because you think, that's probably what you would think Jesus should be comparing it to. Not a mustard plant. The kingdom of God's like a big cedar tree or a stately oak or something like that. But um, he throws this little line in there to show, I'm saying mustard plant, but I also want you to see this. And then it's used also in the book of Daniel. The same expression is used in the book of Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And it's a dream about a stately tree where the birds can nest and under its shade, right? And all of that is used in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has about himself being this king over all the dominion of the earth. And then what happens is that guy then goes insane. King Nebuchadnezzar becomes this kind of crazy guy as God strikes him down and he's crawling on the ground like an animal and eating the grass and all of that. And then eventually God like brings him back to his sanity and he believes then in Yahweh God as God. And he then says these words, this one that said that he himself was this tree that, whose dominion and kingdom was to the end of the earth. And then he says, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. That this king that thought he was so great then says, no, it's God who is so great. And it's all in that little phrase that, that Mark, you know, that Jesus includes there to show these people so much from their history of what he's really saying who he is. And so what does this parable then mean for us? What does this mean for us today? I, I do think that we can feel and look like a tiny mustard seed. I think we can feel pretty insignificant. And God's saying to us, when you submit to me as your king, And when you recognize that you are gifted by me and that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, yeah, you can do amazing things. And we can see incredible things happen, but only when we submit to him as king. And it's like 1 Corinthians 1 says this. 
That God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. So we might seem small. We might seem insignificant. We might seem as tiny as a mustard seed. But God says, hey, like Gideon, like the women I chose in the Bible who were looked down upon but I used for these incredible roles in my kingdom. Like David as this little shepherd boy. You will do incredible things for me when you submit to me as your king. You know, they think that, that Jesus had about a hundred true followers when he left earth. When he ascended into heaven. A hundred people. Like all this time, like the God of the universe spending on the earth, and then there's a hundred true followers of him. And when we see what those hundred true followers, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, what happens? That mustard seed movement, that rapid spread of God's kingdom all over the world through these hundred true followers empowered by the Holy Spirit, I mean, that is amazing, right? And that should embolden us to see how we can be used by God. And how when we join in with what God is doing, instead of trying to kind of force our own thing, we can see him work in incredible ways through us. And so we have to be people that submit to God's plan. God's plan, not just for the growth of the kingdom, but even our own growth. That we submit to God's plan for how he will grow in us. Because I think often we look to the formulas of life to achieve our growth. But God's saying, hey, hey. Work out your stuff, work out your plans and your formulas. But trust me that the work, the real work comes through me and my spirit. So God's kingdom is going to go big. It's going to grow because of him. And it's going to spread fast because of him. That's it. We trust and we join. That's what this text means for us today. And so how we're going to respond to this today is through communion. We're going to respond through saying, Jesus, we recognize that there is this future kingdom coming, right? There's this kingdom here and now, but there's a future kingdom coming where the final battle is won. Where it's all over. The final judgment, the end times, everything comes to pass. We look forward to that. But we remember here, we remember today, we remember right now, how that victory was won. And it was won through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we remember what he did. We remember the sacrifice that he made. And so when we eat of the bread, we remember his body given for us. When we drink from the cup, we remember his blood shed for us. And in that moment, the victory was won. So that's what we'll be doing. And so as the elements are going to be passed here in a moment, I want to encourage you to hold on to those. Hold on to the elements while we have this song to reflect, this time to reflect upon what Jesus has done for us. Now, uh, we are going to be passing them on trays that have both the bread and the cup on the tray. And so we encourage you as they come around to pass it even, the best way is to pass to the next person. And then that person holds that for you to take of the elements. They pass to the next person who serves you and holds and takes the elements If you're sitting more on your own, I encourage you to grab the bread first and then the cup. And then it'll it'll work out, all right? (laughs) We can do this together. Okay, so um, let's, let's pray and let's reflect through this song on 
who Jesus is, what he's done, that he is the king of his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, your love for us. Lord, the way that you have shown us that you are king, that your plan was so different maybe than we expected. That your plan was one of sacrifice, that your plan was one of giving up of yourself for us. So Lord, now we remember and we're grateful. Lord, I also pray that you would help us to follow in that example of sacrificing of ourselves for the good of others, Lord, and for the gospel to be spread. And may we trust you because you're the king. In Jesus' name, amen.